Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I bring you a message today from the people of Ireland. The eyes desire peace with England as with the rest of the world. It is a question of our republic. And we want the creation of a new Ireland. I wish to talk to you this evening about the state of relations affairs. I wish to talk to you this evening about... <laughs> Welcome to the history of Ireland. Last episode, we introduced the plenipotentiaries, the men chosen to represent Ireland at the forthcoming treaty negotiations with the British. We also asked the question as to why Dev wouldn't be joining them. Now, I don't know if we found an answer to that, but today I want to dive into three things a little deeper. One, why each of the plenipotentiary was chosen. Two, where they sit politically. And three, the direction, or lack thereof, that they were given by Dev and the doll. Sound good? Cool. Let's start with Arthur Griffith. Being Minister for Foreign Affairs, and previously having held the office of acting president, he was a pretty obvious choice. Plus, well, he'd been in contact with the British discussing a truce as far back as December 1920. Politically, he's generally viewed as a moderate, someone not obsessed with the idea of republicanism and not too worried about symbolic issues. Remember, Griffith had started as a dual monarchist and really only cared about the practicalities of independence. It wasn't until much later that his party, Sinn Féin, was basically co-opted by the Republicans. So yes, Griffith was practical moderate and just wanted to get Ireland some kind of independence so it could figure things out from there. Next was Michael Collins. Dev pointed out that Collins was, quote, looked upon the British as the leader of the fighting men. And he continued, no delegation of which he was not a member would get the highest British offer. That if he were absent, the British would feel they still had to deal with him and still to conciliate him and that they would hold back something from the other plenipotentiaries. This is a totally fair argument and one that makes a lot of sense. <sighs> but I gotta say, considering what's to come, it's ever so slightly infuriating. And remember, Collins was no real soldier. Instead, he was a master organiser, very, very intelligent, and very good at dealing with people. It makes a hell of a lot of sense that he'd be included. There was also the added bonus 
that he was a near mythical figure in Britain and carried a lot of weight in the British press. This is something we're going to look at next episode. Those more prone to conspiracy theories, though, (coughs) Pat Coogan, (laughs) would argue that Dev put Collins forward because Dev knew a full republic was never going to be achievable. And he wanted Collins, arguably his biggest rival, to take the fall. The argument goes that Dev knew Collins was his greatest political threat and wanted to pin any compromise on Collins, therefore sullying him with future voters. This to me feels a little like creating a good story after the fact, but I mention it because, well, look, it's a theory that's not totally without merit. And as we go on, I guess you can decide for yourself. In terms of what Collins actually stood for, well, it's pretty unclear. Generally, he's put in the same camp as Griffith. The two were staunch allies at this point, both seen as moderates and both willing to compromise to gain what they wanted. In fact, Dev believed the quote, from my own weighing up of Collins, I felt certain that he too was contemplating accepting the crown. I.e. that he would be most likely happy with swearing allegiance if it got Ireland more independence. Dev believed that having two moderates like this would, quote, simply make them both, a Griffith and Collins, better bait for Lloyd George, leading him on and on further in our direction. I don't totally understand the thinking here, but my guess is that Dev was using Griffith and Collins almost as the good cops in the situation. But to balance this, well, he needed a bad cop. And that brings us on to Robert Barton. Dev explained that he chose Barton saying this. He will be strong and stubborn enough as a retarding force to any precipitate giving away by the delegation. Basically, Dev was worried about Griffith and Collins and their moderate viewpoints and so put a hardline Republican to balance them out. A hardline Republican who just happened to be immensely loyal to Dev. So that's Biden. Next was Eamon Duggan and George Gavin Duffy. An IRB man, Duggan was firmly on the side of Griffith and Collins. While George Gavin Duffy, having spent much of his time outside of Ireland during the war, seemed to have no strong ties to anyone in particular. Dev dismissed their appointment as, quote, mere legal padding. But Duggan would have quite an impact on the outcome by the end of it. Finally, there was Erskine Childers. Though not actually a plenipotentiary, Childers was very influential. Dev sent Childers because he hoped the, quote, an intellectual Republican would give Barton his relative and close friend, added strength. Barton and Childers were cousins, you see. However, this was complicated by the fact that Griffith 
absolutely hated Childers, going as far as to accuse him of being an English spy. So there's that. So you can see through all of this how much of a politician Dev was, both in, I guess, the positive and negative sense of that word. He knew the strengths and weaknesses and the relationships between each person and used all of this knowledge to put together what he thought was a balanced team. But it could be argued that what he had created was a kind of divided delegation. You had moderates, Griffith, Collins and Duggan on one side and hardline Republicans, Barton and Childers on the other. And I guess poor George Gavin legal padding Duffy floating somewhere in the middle. So how should we view this lineup? On the one hand, you can see what Dev was trying to accomplish. He couldn't send just hardline Republicans because he knew the British would call off the talks if there was any mention of a republic. But he couldn't send moderates who might give away house and home just for peace. Instead, he sent a varied group of men with differing beliefs who would temper each other and thus provide the nuanced view needed for such a complicated negotiation. They would be able to string the British along, get as much of them as possible, and when the talks inevitably collapsed, De Valera himself would be able to step in and act as a literal peace broker. Viewed as such, it does come across as a brilliant plan. And you can see why De Valera was viewed as such a political mastermind. However, as always, there's another way of looking at all of this. It could be argued that what Dev had created was a divided delegation with grossly different views and no real clear mandate around what kind of outcome they were after. And by choosing men with such differing views, it would make it quite difficult for them to work together. Plus, there was the added confusion of whether they were real plenipotentiaries who could make a decision on the spot, or whether they needed to refer back to him and the doll. And all of this is compounded by the fact that Dev was deciding not to go. And as any fan of good political musical theatre will know, you want to be in the room where it happens. And Dev had chosen to take himself out of said room. Maybe he really did think the talks would collapse and that the next round, when he stepped in, is when the real decisions would be made. Or maybe he truly misunderstood the term plenipotentiary and thought the delegates would constantly refer back to him. Regardless of whether you think this was political genius or a total mess, and you can probably guess where I stand on it, Dev and the rest of the doll did not help with the instructions they then gave to the delegates. Charles Townsend argues that Mary McSweeney was one of the few TDs to, quote, try and pin down the objectives of the negotiations. 
As Townsend describes it, she insisted that they were going to England for one purpose only, to secure British recognition of the Republic. One TD, Ernest Blythe, describes how how she stood up, pointing her finger directly at me and saying, if anyone here has a contrary opinion, let him speak now or be forever silent. But, as Townsend explains, this completely reasonable attempt to define what the Irish were asking for was, quote, sidelined by what has been called the casual misogyny that Blythe shared with many of his colleagues. And in fact, as Blythe himself said, I only laughed at her. To digress a little bit, it's kind of important to remember that though we like to view the first and second doll as quite progressive, what with members like Mary McSweeney and Countess Markowitz, to say that there was sexism going on is, well, a bit of an understatement. This was still the 20s after all. But casual sexism wasn't going to stop someone like Mary McSweeney. And she even asked Dev to include her in the delegation. And he at least didn't laugh her out of it, but he just said, you would not do, Moira. You were too extreme. But okay, if McSweeney was too extreme, does that mean that De Valera clearly laid out to the doll and to the plenipotentiaries what he wanted? Maybe his ideas around external association? Which, remember, we discussed two episodes back? Oh no. No, he didn't. In the debate to ratify the plenipotentiaries, Ronan Fanning, Dev's biographer, describes how Dev spoke to the doll, quote, in the manner reminiscent of a schoolmaster talking to a class of dim pupils. Dev started by saying that if they had asked Lloyd George to recognise the Republic, he would say it would be an unreasonable request. Dev continued, It is a question of whether any form of association with Britain is one in which the Irish people could stand for. I feel it is, and my cabinet would have a definitive policy to put before the doll when the time came. It was absolutely necessary to contemplate such negotiation or else to end the truce. They had to reconcile that position by negotiation or by force. If they could reconcile it by negotiation, it was their duty to do so. When it came, they would be able to deal with that question. It would be harmful to take it up now. To translate this devilish into English, he's basically saying there was no choice but to negotiate or fight and that they owed it to the Irish people to try and negotiate peacefully. He also states that he has a policy. He has a plan. And this would be external association. But that he's not quite ready to share it with the doll or the delegates. So, basically, he's kind of just sending them off blind. It's frankly crazy to me. It all sounds like a recipe 
for absolute disaster. And while those who know their Irish history know that some kind of disaster was on the horizon. But for now, we'll leave it there. Next episode, I want to look at one delegate in particular. The plenipotentiary the British public was most excited to meet. The one plenipotentiary that nearly everyone in Ireland knows. Yep, we're going to explore the myth of Michael Collins. Thanks for listening. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell your friends. It really helps. You can also support the show, buy merch, and get in touch all through our website, thehistoryofireland.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. It's always great hearing from you guys. And if I've made a mistake, please do let me know. The History of Ireland was written and produced by me, Kevin Dolan. Additional research and fact-checking by Robert Babington, music by Liam Doyle, and additional help from assistant producer Aoife Murphy. This podcast was recorded in the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.